Hey there, welcome uh, to the Book of Door podcast. The podcast where we talk about the lore and the fiction, the characters, the story, the themes, the influences, the predecessors, the antecedents, <laughs> the descendants, and our personal relationship with the Legend of Zelda. I'm your host, Crystal, and with me is Monica. Hello. That Cameron. was a lot of stuff. Hi. Yeah, we cover a broad range of topics related to the Legend of Zelda on this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> this is part four of our five-part series. Yep. Uh-huh. On the Legend of Zelda Skyward Sword, the best game ever made. The more we say it, the more it's going to be true. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's how it works. <laughs> yeah, we can just wish it into being. With the Triforce? No. No. We're not going to get the Triforce by the end of the fifth episode, so we're going to have to work really hard. Oh, shoot. Before we get started, I want to talk about this on the podcast. Uh-oh. How do you feel about the entirely unreliable and unsubstantiated rumor that in 2019 they will release a Nintendo 64 classic, included on which will be a read-only memory file of The Legend of Zelda Ura? Which is the N64 DD title, which eventually was used as sort of a basis for Majora's Mask, right? Uh, No, it was used as a basis for Master Quest. Majora's Mask was a different project altogether. Oh, okay. I kind of equated them a little bit in my mind because of the way that uh, game news worked back then. That sure does sound unsubstantiated and unsupported. What if they did it, though? Miyamoto said it was basically done. I mean, if they did it, that'd be fucking sick, and that'd be like a whole new Zelda game just on this thing, and I would have to fight people with my hands to get, like, make sure that we got one. Also Animal Crossing. (laughs) Oh yeah, the N64 Animal Crossing that was never localized into English. We did get the NES Classic and the SNES Classic, so... Oh, we'd get the N64 Classic regardless, but like, if Yura Zelda was on there, I would... It would be a much stronger need. I read on Kotaku that Nintendo just patented some sort of a Game Boy case for cell phones. Hmm. Hmm. And that'd be a very neat way to package the Game Boy Classic. So maybe it has like a little Bluetooth receiver in it? Uh, no, it works like a phone case, so it snaps onto your phone. Right. And then the button parts are just um, touch sensitive. So it reads into your phone. I assume you open up an app to um to load up the game boys you know what there are lots of differently sized phones i know like (laughs) how's that gonna work it will probably um, that'd be interesting i guess it would have to be wouldn't it like it's got a little mount inside of it well it probably wouldn't be very um expensive to produce so you do the latest phones especially with the apple phones that are only three different versions i'd be real curious to see how that would work out I, we know, not for a fact, but we can be reasonably assured that we're going to end up getting an N64 classic at some point. Yeah. Especially because Nintendo seems more and more reticent over time to actually let us play classic games on their current flagship system. For some reason. For some reason. The idea of Yuri Zelda being on there is enticing. I don't think it's going to happen, but I know so little about the title that it would be... Like getting a completely new game, just out of the blue, and that's wild. We 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 would have to decide if that's canon. We'd have to do a special Book of Medora episode about it. Yeah, like that would just happen. 
That'd be great. That would be great. Maybe they'll announce it when they reveal the next upcoming Zelda as part of a simple trailer next year. Well, when they announce Skyward Sword of the Wild. Yeah. (laughs) Do you think that when they release the Game Boy Advance Classic, they will include Earthbound Conclusions? Absolutely not. Oh. There will never be an Earthbound Endings in English. Not officially distributed by Nintendo. They should have saved Earthbound Beginnings for the NES Classic. They really should have. That would have been a wild experience. They also should have gone back and retooled the script a little bit. Yeah. Because it's got, it's got some parts in it. They should release Earthbound 64 on the N64 Classic. That game was legitimately never finished. Well, do it. Just do it? Just put Reggie? the space... Yeah, Reggie, put the Space World demo on there. That'd be fascinating if you just released all your unfinished games... Oh, wow. Yeah, I've never thought about that, but that would be quite the thing, wouldn't it? Anyway, Skyward Sword. Skyward Sword. We just got the Gus Bellows. We can blow away the sand now. Yeah, we can win all the fights in Smash Brothers. Uh, Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Um, What's neat about the Gus Bellows, and also, I think this may be the first, it's probably not the first dungeon in uh, Skyward Sword that does it, but you can blow things through, like, cage bars. Oh, you so if it's not a solid wall, you can make air pass yeah. through it. Yeah, if there's actually, like, bars, you can actually do things between the bars, like throw your whip or... Well, you haven't got the whip yet. Or use your gust bellows. <laughs> yes, or send a skyward strike through. Oh, yeah. Which wasn't a thing back in the N64 era. If there were mm-hmm. bars there, shut up, put your bow away. You can't shoot an arrow no. <laughs> through most of them. Um, oh, and we talked about this a little bit during the previous episode, but... Um, I looked a little bit more into it. There is a sequence near the end where you crawl through a series of vents and yes, you find a secret painting of the robots alongside a chest with a a blue bird feather. And that's really neat. I don't think we were able to find a picture. Cam, you Googled it last time. Well, I'm going to do it again. Okay. Like, I think there's different ways to interpret it. People seem to think it's like a... (laughs) Maybe they had to hide their sapience. Nah. No, I just think it was a cute part where, you know, you, the player, discover that they are very, very much people, too. It's It was painted for one of the workers by their child and then hung up in a room. Well, maybe a kid, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> because we know that there are robot children. I see that one of the notes you've written here that I don't think we touched on before is that the Bemos and the Centros are very similar to the Guardians from Breath of the Wild. Oh, Yeah. But they're very much also, I meant that to mean that they're also just guarding the temple. Oh, okay. So they're like a security force for the mining facility. Yes. But also, technologically, they bear a lot of resemblance to the guardians. Yes. They have glowy bits and laser bits. Blue laser bits. Floaty bits. You shoot them in the eyeball. So they really are the precursor to the Breath of the Wild guardians. Yeah. In terms of their design. Probably not in terms of their make, though. Or maybe it could be that the Guardians were based on the ancient robot technology 10,000 years ago, but that's reaching so far into the past for Breath of the Wild that there's no reasonable way to get into it. It could be that the war of 10,000 years ago was the war against Demise. Oh, oh, hmm. Okay. That be- I don't think that actually checks out, but <laughs> I want it to. I mean, it, it, it would be a cool idea, and it's just like... Okay, so they get through all that. No, it doesn't check out, but that'd be a cool fanfic. 
That would be a cool fanfic. Yeah. Somebody who writes fanfics that listens to us, write that fanfic and then send it to us. Do it. We'll read it. We'll read it. I'll read the whole fucking thing. The Gus Bellows, you start encountering rooms that are fully encrusted with sand. Yeah. And you can just blow all of it away. And it doesn't just like get shifted around. It's obliterated. Yes. It is sand obliterating. (laughs) You're replacing the sand with air. Um, you wander along the temple, and you manage to get the ancient circuit, which is the boss key. And I suppose everything's computers. Yeah, so the way to open the boss door is to complete the circuit so that electricity can flow through it. The door is a really pretty boss door, and clearly in the center is a sun, which is, again, sun and stars is a recurring image in this particular temple. One of the things about the Lanayru mining facility is that if we assume that the ancient robots spent, or rather that the ancient robots were the ones who did all the decorating, and mm-hmm. it seems like they might have, yeah, then they're very focused on astronomy. Yeah. And I guess if you're a robot, you don't necessarily need another place to live or to sleep. Yeah. You could happily mine things forever yeah pretty much i mean they and do decorate need to, your, your living and working space they do need to like recharge from time to time i think they're charged through time stones oh okay. powered through time stones oh all right then hey so they only live to work um <laughs> i wouldn't go so far they don't live solely to work any more than you or i do they make art they work to live they, they work to eat children yeah Yes, they do. Yeah, we know that there is at least one confirmed case of a particular robot who has other robots that they identify as their children. But they are all manufactured by Lanayru. They're named by Lanayru. We don't actually know how they're manufactured. It could be that they are self-reproducing and are able to build more of themselves. Yeah. Actually, scrap the whole living in the factory thing, because definitely there's a robot city that we will pass by later. Ah. We just don't really get to explore it very much. Really? It's where the minecarts racing is. Oh, that's right. Yeah, it's just this completely barren, empty place. You see the buildings. Ah. So you open up the boss door, and it's neat because there's this whole sequence where you have to basically guide a time stone cart over uh-huh. to the door because it's covered in razor wires or whatever and you bring it over the wires go away and the doors after you finish the boss key puzzle the doors swing open and it's just out of the range of the time stone time shift stone right so it instantly looks all old but it's the present uh, it opens up into the present oh i see that's pretty cool it's a bit trippy that the past looks so much newer than the present. It says a lot about the decay that's gone on on the surface. Yes. It's like Star Wars. It is a little like Star Wars. <laughs> yes. But I mean, like, a lot of The Legend of Zelda is like that, right? That yeah. We live in a time after nefarious forces have brought us low, and we have to take lessons from the past which was not able to live through the problems that we're facing now, in spite of the fact that they seemed in some ways more advanced. Uh Uh-huh. And then there's the boss. I just want to say before we get to talking about Mulderock, it is boundlessly interesting to me that there's way more evidence 
of ancient robot culture and art and architecture than there is for any other of the surface races in this game. The ancient robots are by far the most developed of the surface peoples. Yeah, I'd go so far as to say that they may actually be the most developed of Hyrule's peoples up to this point in the series. Now, do you mean developed as in fleshed out or developed fleshed as Fleshed out. Oh, fleshed Not in out. terms of their technological advancement. Okay. Hmm. So I, I, there's very few cases where we see art as produced yeah. by a given peoples. Fair. Do you think that that little kid robot who made the painting set it up so that if it was ever removed, it would instantly shred itself? <laughs> Crystal, did you hear about that? No. Banksy uh, had a painting that was on uh, auction. Up for auction. Up for auction a few days ago, yesterday. Yes. And it sold for $1.3 And as soon as the sale was finalized, it turns out that the frame had a shredder built into it. And it shred the painting in front of everyone at the auction. That sounds like some shit Banksy would do. (laughs) Yeah. But also, I think that's genuinely pretty funny. The it's kid a good didn't. prank. It's a good prank. Yes. And it's it might art. constitute fraud. I don't know. Somebody just bought a piece of performance art. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the kid didn't rig the picture to shred. They they rigged it so that if Link blew the gust bellows on it, a red rupee would jump out. Oh. Is that what happens? Yes. Okay. Remember that, everybody. If you find this painting, you can get 20 rupees. So are rupees generated magically? It's hidden in the frame. Well, in this game, rupees are dug up out of the earth by the magma. Mm -hmm. They are a naturally occurring mineral, I guess. Oh, yeah. You can literally hit the ore with, I don't know, an arrow Arrow. or something. Yeah. We didn't talk about this, but in the Elden region, there's actually a mini game that you can play and a cave that you can go into that involves striking large rupee ore deposits which always break off in a given denomination of rupees i can't remember the name of the game but it's minesweeper uh but rupees are cut in a standardized way yeah it's just that their particular crystalline structure is so in i'm not really sure what the word i'm looking for here is but no matter how you hit it that's how it comes out hmm or at least that's how it seems in this game. The origin of rupees seems to be wildly divergent depending on which part of the Zelda timeline you're walking around in. Are the Pecori around? I don't know. Oh, it, the, the... Do you think, you think they carry little swords and hit the demons in their toes? <laughs> you know what? Very possibly. Link is too old in this to see the Pecori. Maybe they're the reason why all the Bacoblins in the Lanayru region eventually died. They kept hitting all of them in their toes. Yeah. Just like the Imprisoned, who we might get to in this episode. <laughs> to Muldark. Muldarok? I think Muldarok, but it's not ever pronounced. Thousand Year Scorpion. That's a great subtitle. Now, oh, it's Muldarak. Muldarachnid. Mold- oh, Muldarachnid. Oh. Yeah, but I like rock. Now, there was a particular thing about this sequence where you pass through this room in the past, right? And it's just like a little baby scorpion? No. Am I thinking of the wrong thing? Yeah. And there's there's baby scorpions all around. But they're mostly in the past, right? They're in the present. Oh. 
so those are the babies, I assume, of this thousand-year-old one that has grown from a tiny one to a giant. Oh, that's the that's the thing that they do with the rematch with it. Oh, maybe. Yeah, okay, okay. I'm thinking of the wrong part of the game. So I tell me about Moldorak Rock. It's a giant scorpion with armor. Uh-huh. It's got a very brightly colored eye uh-huh. and then two pincers with, also with eyes. Yeah, it's got eyes that stretch between its pincers like muscles or tendons and it uses its eyes to clamp shut those jaws and it's like what the fuck are we looking at and i know it's supposed to be a scorpion but with the pincers looking so big you know what i i just think it's like a lobster uh-huh and i kind of want to boil it it's got two differently sized claws yes one's bigger and one smaller um i usually go for the small one first but I, the dynamic of this battle is so it 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 starts hit attacking you and it starts holding up its pincers and it will twist them. I guess a lot of these bosses in this game will just turn. Twist. So you have to hit it at the right angle. Yes, you have to hit it from the right angle or else you'll just bounce off the rest of its claw. Um, you destroy both and then it gets to its next phase. Where, where you have to poke just, it in the eye. Yes, where you have to poke it in the eye, but it buries itself into the sand. Like, is that in this one or only the rematch? It's in this one. Oh, okay. It buries itself in the sand, and I guess that's why it's called mold, whatever, because it's like a mold derm. It will wiggle oh. like Wind And so you have to use your gust bellows and blow around and uncover it before it jumps out and, you know, hits you with its uh, tail. You know, being able to dig through the sand with the gust bellows blew my mind back when I first did it, because I couldn't figure out exactly how they made that work it's really well done it feels very natural to have a reverse vacuum cleaner i ended up looking this up and it's something like there's a mesh layer that is the sand and what you're doing with the gust bellows is actually uh deforming the mesh so that it's pushed down in certain places and if you push it all the way down it goes beneath the floor so nothing actually disappears you're just kind of shifting it around Which is a neat solution to that particular problem and is actually a trick that they would use again later in Breath of the Wild to make puddles rise and fall during the rain. Oh, cool. Yeah. Crystal, did you like this scorpion thing? I do like fighting a scorpion thing. I do like blowing away the mesh of the sand (laughs) under the floor to reveal its big eye and then stab it. You do stab it right in the big ol' eye. Yeah. Because Moldorak is 1,000 years old... We actually have an exact time frame for how the time shift stones shift. Oh, yeah. Good job. Yeah, okay. I I, I want to say we can't take it as being too literal, but also a thousand years seems fine. Seems about right. Seems okay. How many generations of people is that? 40. Wow. 40 or 50. Okay. Um, you give the old poka-poka, and it dies, and the sand retreats, and... You actually see that this whole area that you've been fighting in is like a train depot with uh, track switching. Mm. And the center is the part where, you know, you can sort of whirl the train around, like in the tower of... How is this revealed? Does Moldorok dying make the sand drain out or... Oh, yep. Oh, okay. It's like in the tower of the... Spirits? Towers of Spirits, thank you. Where the train can be rerouted through like six different doors. Yeah, it's a... a it's a, God, what do they call those? Interchange stations? Something like that. I don't know trains. Train lingo. Train lingo. But clearly this was the part of the 
mining and refining facility where they shipped out or shipped in the the stones. Right. It's pretty cool. That is cool. It, it, this place has a really cool sense of concrete purpose. Function. Yeah, in the setting. Um, Link walks through a sealed door, and this is an actually very great room that I think um, both you and Crystal should pull up. Hmm. Is this the thing with the statues? Yes. Yeah, I know the one. Crystal, do you have it up? I don't have it up. Can, can you pull it up? I think if you just search Moldrock Battle, you'll find a YouTube video. How long? Okay. And then uh, it's like the first one on YouTube. Hmm, still these statues. Yeah. It's a very long haul, and there are these robot statues along the side and all of them are saluting. They're giant robot statues. And also these statues have medals on them. As if they've all performed some kind of service. Yes. Not in terms of Not mining, metal. but in terms <laughs> of military service. Yes. And you have to fly your beetle about halfway down the hall to strike a time shift stone to power the cart that will take you across the way. And when it illuminates you or brings you to the past you can see that um, behind each of the robots is this uh, are these flowers and it's all blue and glowy and beautiful it is a pretty severe shift over in tone from the environment that you were just in especially when fighting Moldorok. but they are definitely taking what could be described as a very military stance these statues and they are saluting the transferring of whatever's going on here to the what is on the other side of this the temple of time mm-hmm. so it transitions to the temple of time it seems like the Lanayru mining facility was very important in fueling the war effort against demise yeah i'd say so well i i would love to hear both of your thoughts on this room to me i interpreted it as basically a recognition of the sacrifice of the robots because there's no way to actually save them um, from their condition and the electrobocoblins or whatever. Right. They gave up their their lives in this area in service to defeating demise once and for all. What's your take on all this, especially this room here, Crystal? It reads to me as if delivering the time shift stones to build the big alarm clock that is the gate of time was seen as a sacred duty. Mm. And that... The one who was chosen to make the delivery, that is like a, an honored uh, job. It is very important. That does read pretty well. So, Monica, you said you see it as being more of a monument to all the robots? Yeah. That, like, this is what was made for them to commemorate them. Yeah. And it would last throughout time because of the stone. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I can buy into that. Yep. I st- Sorry. I still think that something about this may... Like, the effect of the Gate of Time. What purpose did the Gate of Time serve originally? Did it have another purpose from what it has now? Because that would imply that the Gate of Time was designed specifically for how it is used in the current period, Mm -hmm. and that it had no real use in the war against Demise. Could it be that the Gate of Time was built after the war? That could be. So maybe these are statues of particular units who were lost in the war, but 
who are seen as sort of robot marchers for the purpose of facilitating the goddess's one plan. Yeah. The the Temple of Time is said to have been built by Halia directly, but certainly the Gate of Time. Well, I mean robots Yeah. You could say <laughs> It's that hard to they, say. Are you talking about the Everyone is tools boss. of Hylia. Yeah. But I mean it, it's certainly possible that the Gate of Time was installed afterward too. Yeah. I mean she might have lived for a little while after defeating Demise. It strikes me how useful a time shift stone is because you can let a room get into disrepair and anytime you want if you are able to like call back that one instant in time the room will be repaired again maybe this particular time shift stone is anchored in a particular point rather than being anchored in a synchronized flow maybe so instead of being always 1000 years back this one would always be set to a specific day where time and its synchronicity doesn't flow forward until the time stone is struck. You can do that, huh? <laughs> I mean, why not? Who why knows? She just do that to demise. What do you mean? Trap him in a day. I think maybe that's probably what she tried to do. That's true. He has conquered time. He is like an awareness that is equivalent to hers, which is revealed in the final dialogues of the game. Yeah, we'll so get to that, that next episode. <laughs> yeah, we get to it sure. in part five. Um, so you ride the cart across the way and you exit the door. It's so quiet. It is quiet, yes. And you exit the door back into the present and, hey, you're in the Temple of Time. It's uh, the big Temple of Time, which is not the Temple of Time for Ocarina of Time. No, it's a new Temple of Time. It has a big stone bird and in front of it is a big purple alarm clock. What's up with that alarm clock? Well, it's a door to the era just after the imprisoning of Demise. And this is probably one of the more memorable cutscenes of the game. Yes. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So one of you want to summarize it? You do it, Crystal. Okay, well, Link walks up to the alarm clock and he sees Zelda is playing some kind of song on her harp. And Impa's there, too, watching her perform this sacred ritual. Then Zelda turns around and smiles at Link because her boyfriend's here. But then Girahim busts through the wall and he starts trying to attack Zelda. And he and Impa have a real cool fight on the bridge. Yeah. Yeah. And Zelda throws, well, she doesn't throw. She Not magically uh, kicks the football <laughs> that is her harp at Link. Who does take the time to do his, his thing that Zelda's so annoyed by. Yeah. And then the game yells at him. It's like, oh, there's really no time to examine this. But and there's Gear- enough time to raise it above your head. Yeah, yeah Girahim kind of busts through the magical shield that Impa is making. And she goes flying backwards. Then Link jumps in with his sword. He, he gets to deliver a cool dialogue choice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You well, can did- say, protect Zelda. Go. Or, am I late? Crystal, which one of these did you pick? Am I late? You're goddamn right. <laughs> Does anyone really choose anything else? You do. Mm, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you With, know me so well. Yeah, it's always protect it's, Zelda, right? Yeah. Or go, maybe. Yeah, but Emma Lady is really good. And it's interesting here because Girahim just outfought Impa really hard, but and he's been clear about this before. Girahim's actually afraid of Link's sword. Uh huh. Like that's the only reason that Girahim hasn't tried to kill him again up to this point. Well, he credits the sword for he credits all of the, Link's 
Yes, but also he's talked to Link several times without attacking him again. Yeah. And he has perfectly good reason to attack him now, but he doesn't. The threat of the sword holds him back. Well, he's also focused on Zelda and Impa. Uh, Not enough to try to get past Link. (laughs) True. It's just interesting here because we're given a period of time where it focuses on Impa retreating and then Zelda and so forth. I'm sorry. I'm interrupting. Yes, Cam. I'm sorry. Do continue, Crystal. So Impa opens up the Gate of Time, which now has like a, a 3D effect on it, where it's like a mirror facing a mirror, and it's infinitely the fractals going spiraling inside of itself. Bunch of gears. Yeah, a bunch of gears. <laughs> so Impa unpins her grenade, and then tells Link to go tell the old woman at the sa- at the sacred grounds what happened here. And then Zelda pops out and says, Link, I'll see you again. This isn't goodbye. And then they go inside a gate of time and Impa drops her grenade, which blows up the gate of time. Did she have it on her the whole time? <laughs> it's like an, a magic grenade. I, magic think it, I think that it's like uh, just a magic thing she can do and not an item she carries. Yeah. I, I, she probably used it to blow up the the gate to the Temple of Time to begin with that Girahim busts through. Hmm. Why didn't she use that on Girahim? Uh, same reason lots of people don't use high explosives in close combat. <laughs> okay. I, I like how in this scene, like, Impa is, like, has to try to shove Zelda through the gate, like, a couple of times, like, uh, get she's back like, there. She's like, no, let me talk to my boyfriend, and Impa's like, let's get out of here. There's a long period during that conversation where Girahim doesn't do anything in particular. Fair. No. Talking is a free action. Talking is a free action. <laughs> I was just thinking that it was because he was scared of the sword, but mostly it's just like one blip in the direction of this scene that doesn't make a ton of sense unless you try to fill in the gaps. Yeah, Girahim does a lot of big talk about how he's going to torture you or whatever, but then he doesn't do anything because he's, he's a scared baby. He pieces out. Yep, and that's the scene, and I guess Link looks a little bit L- sad at Link the end. Link looks at the blown up gate of time and looks really wistful over it because she was right there. Uh-huh. Poor sadling. <laughs> I, I'm trying to figure out if this goddess harp is like the original or not. And in the end credits, you see that Zelda fell down with the goddess harp. Yeah. See, that's one of the things. I think that this harp is straight up the same one that she was using in the goddess ceremony. Right. But then is it like the goddess harp because she is the goddess? It's or... a sacred relic from Hylia. Was there even like such a thing as the original harp and maybe it was this harp all along? I think it was this harp. That's messed up. That's pretty messed up. Also, she uses straight magic in this sequence. Yeah. She is awakened to some kind of powers. And she also says a particular line about how Link is going to need the harp. She knows what's about to go down. It's almost like she's privy to information she should not necessarily have as a normal human girl. What could possibly be the twist here? Yeah. Sheik also uses his harp. Yeah. Oh, is it the same harp? It's It's exactly the same harp. Oh, shit. It's really neat to think of a relic being passed down and then down that far. Oh, that's another indicator that the Ocarina of Time takes place in the imprisoned timeline. Yeah, okay. And that's passed down through the royal family for real. Mm -hmm. What happened to it? What do you mean? It's... We never see the harp again in any games that take place after Ocarina, right? It's just sitting in the castle. At the bottom of the sea. Oh, no. Well, yeah, in, in that timeline. Yeah. 
I, I guess that that's like one neat remnant of the bird imagery that gets lost in a lot of other places. Oh, because the harp look like a bird. The, yeah, both sides have bird heads. Um, Gorko does walk through the ruins because if you recall, he was on the other side wanting to come in. And Girahim entered the scene by exploding the destroyed yeah. wall. So he's going to tentatively um, explore. It's all way too exciting for him, buddy. Yeah. And you return to Skyloft. And there's a bunch of stuff to do in Skyloft right now. Uh-huh. Because you've got ancient flowers and yep. it opens up all kind of thing. Well, first of all, you can start feeding fledged stamina potions. <laughs> <laughs> Are stamina potions steroids? No. Oh, okay. Because Fledge is in his room um, at night trying to do push-ups. And really, he's counting into like the 60s or something like that. And he's like, I just can't do any more. It's like, Fletch! That's a lot of push-ups. 60 push-ups at a go is pretty good. Yeah. Crystal, are, are, are stamina potions steroids? No, they're four locos. They're what? They're four locos. What are four locos? Oh, you don't know about four locos? No. Four locos are now an illegal beverage originating from the United States of America. They are caffeinated alcoholic beverages. Oh, yeah, oh that, that sounds like it'd give you heart problems. Yeah. That sounds about right. That's like them people what mix the Red Bull with their whiskey. Ooh. You give Fledge an initial dosage, and he'll ask you for another one later, too. Is that gated behind progression? Yeah. But right now, he's just like, oh, I feel so much better. Yeah. And then I think he already starts doing, like, he gets into, into the, the 400s or something. Something absurd. He gets like, into the triple digits easy. It's like, Fledge, you should start working with, like, weights. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you got to vary up your routine a little bit. But he makes it work. Mm-hmm. With the dust bellows, you can also go to uh, Pippet's mom's house, oh boy. Malera's house, and clean it up. That's right. So because she cannot cannot be asked to to dust up the place, she just won't. And there are cobwebs on the windows and on the beds. On the beds, except for Pippet's bed. Except for Pippet's bed and Pi- space. Pippet's space is meticulously clean. Um, but you go around and you bust up a couple of her dishes. Oh, she by... tells you before you start, don't worry about anything else. Just get rid of the dust. Yeah. And the room gets visibly brighter because I guess there was, um... Dust on the torches? <laughs> on the windows. Maybe on the torches, too. Yeah, dusty fire is not as good. And she gives you, she gives you maybe a heart piece this no, time, she but eventually money. rupees. No, no, she gives you rupees just all the time. And she gives you gratitude crystals. Oh, gratitude crystals to start. What's Malara's deal? What do you mean? Because if you come there at night, you can hear Pippet like yelling at her oh, because yeah. she's spending his money to hire you instead of buying bread. Yes, it was their bread money. D- okay, so she's <laughs> starving and sleeping on a cobwebbed bed, but she doesn't have to. No. <laughs> I think that maybe... She's not actually starving, um, and Pippet's being dramatic. If we're talking about a post-capitalistic ideal island, then maybe like this is like fancy bread. Everybody has food, but, you know. That was supposed to be for the special stuff. I don't know. But or maybe I, they're starving. I think that maybe Pippet's full of shit. He took yeah. on a whole night job, and he gets on your case for uncovering this. Pippet has what you might call a savior complex. Not just that, but he has a holier-than-thou complex because 
if you go around and you talk about like doing things for money, he like pish poshes that and talks about how heroics should just be for the goodness of doing it. So he's a hypocrite. Yes, he's a hypocrite. And then you uncover that he has a night job and he needs it for the money, not for just doing it for you know out of business. Why does he need it for the what does he need money for? <laughs> for bread. What no. The, what's money? Money what is, is money. <laughs> It's what you use to go to the food court at the bazaar where that one lady off in the corner whose name I can't remember keeps making food. And the kindly old gentleman, if you sit and talk to him, he'll buy you a drink. Oh, yes. I guess he does buy you a drink, literally. Yeah. But money is just like a resource that goes round and round in this enclosed system. And sometimes uh, you get rupees that are produced by going around and killing keys, I guess. I guess the thing is, she didn't need to spend money to have someone clean up the room she really could have just occasionally every she wants to be the kind of person who hires servants Uh. and that is the worst sort of excess in the context of this society which is what he's really yelling at her about Hmm. okay i mean at this point she probably actually does need to hire someone yeah, the, there's clearly a lot going on here that we're not really privy to, because no matter how quote-unquote lazy you are, if your living space is getting into this kind of state, then something there's something different. Uh, the terrible thing is you can walk out, and because it's a video game, you walk back in and it's dusty. It's the exact same thing. Is she doing this? Oh, oh no. no. It just seems to me as if Malara has severe clinical depression. It could be that she has severe clinical depression, but also it seems like she's... That is what I was getting at earlier, but it just occurred to me that maybe she's dusting things up specifically so that she can hire a strapping young man to come in and clean for her. Right, the pool boy. The pool (laughs) boy. And she makes like a very pleased sound when you blow at her. She does. She's She's so happy about it. Oh, God. Yeah, now we've reached something. It's a sex thing. It's a sex thing. Why is it not? (laughs) (laughs) Very rarely. Why can't you just hire someone to clean your house and not make it a sex thing? Listen, this woman's depressed or something. Just let her get her rocks off. There's nothing going on, apparently. I don't know. It's fucking weird. No, you know what? If I was Pippin, I'd also be uncomfortable with this arrangement. I take back what For I the said. Classmate. Yeah. His underclassmate. I I think they're of the same age. Well, no, I mean It's fucked. He's the senior. Sort of. He's a senpai. Now so, they're equals. <laughs> what do you get for cleaning up Malara's house? A gratitude crystal. Oh, what are those? Yeah, what are gratitude crystals? Oh, yeah. Crystals? We totally skipped this part, so this is a good place to get into gratitude crystals. Yeah, you better explain how we discovered oh. the whole thing with regards to them. And I think that it starts off with a missing child. Yes. There is a very, very, very cute little girl. Oh, she is probably the cutest character in series history. What's her name? Kukil. Kukil. And she lives with her mom and dad. And one day she goes missing. And her mom is very freaked out. I think the dad is a little bit less so. Because everybody on the island, you know, they wouldn't do anything to harm her. Um, She's got her hair up and this neat little funny little ponytail that kind of looks like a brush. Such a cute goddamn kid. Yeah, and she's got a giant necklace. Um... And she's not afraid for about anything. That's why she's wandered off. Yeah, she has no sense of fear because Skyloft is an inherently safe place. Um, Link wanders around. I think there's clues that she went into the graveyard. There's some sort of a mystery about pushing the top left grave. You do need to go talk to the old man at the bazaar. Oh, yes. 
and you could talk to him over a drink and he talks about a monster in the graveyard mm-hmm. and nobody believes him because he's old <laughs> and like that's the only reason because he's old and he's like i don't get it and okay so maybe i went to the milk bar for a little bit before i saw all this or the pumpkin i don't think he actually says anything like that but nobody uh, believes him. i that's the thing that's in like old cartoons and for a long time i thought alcohol makes you hallucinate <laughs> it does not <laughs> Then how come when, like, Bugs Bunny runs past doing his shenanigans, the guy sipping wine at the French cafe pours it out on the floor? They assume there's something besides wine in there. Okay. Oh, oh, I see. Yeah. Maybe it just clicks in that, you know, alcohol is a bad thing. No, <laughs> That's I, what it took. No, I, I, I think the assumption is that it's bad wine, that oh. it's turned and it's okay. taken on hallucinogenic properties. Goodness. Does it happen with sour wine? It's shit do I know. <laughs> Does it all just turn into like... What's the name of that one liquor you can drink that does absinthe? have... Absinthe? Yeah. Hmm. I don't know. Fuck. Somebody who knows about liquor, write in and let us know what the idea behind that joke is. Because I think it's just them assuming that something's wrong with the wine. Um... So there's a a gravestone you push, and this opens up a door, or the door slides aside, and there's a very long ladder you climb down. Can you you hear screaming yet? No. Uh, Because there was this thing where the old man heard a scream in the graveyard, and that made him run like crazy. Um, You climb down the long ladder to a side of Skyloft, or the bottom of Skyloft, which nobody else should see but... Again, then again, anybody on a loft wing could see. Oh, yeah. So I don't know why they didn't see it, but there's a house, rather dilapidated looking. And yeah, as you approach it, you hear screams. And it sounds like Kukiel screaming. Yeah, and you rush in. And Link's got his sword out. Yeah, and inside, it again looks kind of creepy. There's like axes on the wall. And, and like skulls everywhere. Paintings of demons. Um, but you, you see Kukiel, and she's fine. And she's like, hi. Um and then the the demon person Link pulls his sword on yeah. this guy and um, that's what freaks gets... out and he's like oh no please oh, don't no. right they were playing uh, scream at the top of your lungs or game or something which is Kukiel's favorite game uh-huh. cool that's a that's cool a very ch- that's a child game to play and the the large demon is named Batro and he's nice he's a good demon he's literally a demon he's genuinely a demon okay couple questions uh-huh one how did he get up here i'm sure he joined it with the island as it went up yeah i think that probably he was on here when highly ascended into the sky the island that Haley made specifically to protect the humans from the demonic hordes yeah mm-hmm. okay he just he's a <laughs> stowaway um we could get into that in a minute i guess what's your other question what <laughs> okay two part one <laughs> why does like, he want like, to become human to why do the gratitude crystals turn him into a human uh i think the gratitude crystals they're kind of like forest gems with them you can accomplish anything they're great sources of energy and so they're very close to the light energy of the minish yes yes i, I think we can say that the for the gratitude crystals the skulltula tokens and the the Poe souls are all f- essentially force gems. Okay. And they're all used for quests where you turn a monster into a human. So gratitude crystals would be the earliest, most primordial form of the force gems. Sure. 
Yeah. Clo- not closest to the Triforce, but the least removed. I think it's just a very... Or maybe it's that Batro seeks to have the spirit of a human, and it takes that much generous feeling, that much gratitude to transform what's inside of him, so that he awakens to himself just as Link awakens to the spirit of the hero. Hmm. So there is always a human within him. Yes. Does that mean demons are corrupted humans? I wouldn't say so. No. I think this is an optimistic message where if you actually want to change yourself. You can. And be, yeah. Just because you're a demon doesn't mean you are necessarily evil or evil forever or in that form forever. But you have to be willing to work for it. Yes. But he doesn't. (laughs) He He doesn't. No. Ask someone else to do the work. And then through the vicarious pleasure he receives, he becomes a human? Um, he's nice to Kukiel. Yeah. Okay. That's like the first big sure. step. Like, it's Kukiel's friendship with him is what really drives him on this path in the first place. Yeah. I, I think I would like to think that Hylia, as a deity that can see across time or whatever, saw this one good demon who wanted to stow away and join the other humans so badly. And she's like, okay, well. Why turn away someone just because of how they were born? Yeah. Okay, but are all other demons inherently evil? I think that probably they would have eaten the people of Skyloft, yes. Okay. (laughs) But this one isn't. Right. Which is why, really, he has the soul of a human. No, you're thinking of it as an intractable thing, but it's not. Batro made the decision not to hurt humans. The other demons did not. Okay. So no, he, he may have asked Hylia specifically to be able to stow away. But, you know, the fact that he made that decision is the really important thing here. But then why is... What? <laughs> I just don't get the turning into a human part. What do you mean? Why? He wished to be a human. Why? Because being a demon is very scary for other humans, and yeah, he, wants, he wants to interact. He wants to be able to live with people. Okay. <laughs> I mean, if you lived on the Isle of the Goddess and you saw a demon, what would you do? Play the scream at the top of my lungs. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. But it's not a game at that point. You're playing a scream at the top of your lungs, so everyone around you will run out oh, with swords. It's a nice demon. <laughs> He's a nice guy. I think that Batro is exercising due caution here. Yes, absolutely. A lot of the others, the grown-ups, would be freaked out. It takes the pure heart of a kid to see him as he truly is. Yeah. So human is the form you take when you are exposed to the magic of the Force Gems. No. Maybe? Batro wished for it specifically. It's not something inherent to demon kind or something inherent to the power of the gratitude crystals. It, that was the wish of his heart. So you can make wishes upon the gratitude crystals. Small ones, yeah. That's not. Is that a small one? Uh, on the scale of wishes in the Zelda series, yes. Okay. <laughs> it's like on the scale of if Batro had stepped into the dark world and linked to the past, he would have turned into a human. Okay. Aw, that's cute. Yeah. Uh, there's a whole bunch of other gratitude crystals you can collect. There's single ones that just kind of float around in places at nighttime. You do nighttime bring Kukiel back to her parents, right? Uh, yes, you, or you. The, there's a cut scene and she goes back. You get a ton of gratitude crystals from her moms. Yeah, well, I mean five. And her mom's kind of freaked out because she keeps whispering about these weird demon things. <laughs> 
It's fine. She's fine. Everybody's fine. Kooky also goddamn cute. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's solitary ones that will float around in places at nighttime. Uh-huh. But there's also uh, batches of five you can get for doing things for people like flying over and helping to heal a loft wing for the sister girl. Uh-huh. And you get a bottle out of that too. Yeah, she gives you a bottle. <laughs> doing chores for Kina and... I think you get, um, wait, chores with Kina? Yeah. Oh, right, yeah. And you also get a gratitude clump the first time you clean Pippet's house. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or Pippet's mom's house, rather. Yeah. So you wander around until there's nothing else you can do on Skyloft. Well, uh, but one of the things you can do on Skyloft now is repair the ancient robot. Because you've got the ancient flower, and all they needed to repair the robot was the oil from the ancient flower. Yeah, I don't think you're actually prompted to do that just yet. Oh, are you sure? Because there's no reason for it. But you can... Okay, sure. Fine. Some video games are just that way. All right. Because Link has no reason for a robot right now, he's not going to go over to Gonzo. He's going to go to the old lady like Impa told him to. Oh. And so you fly over to the giant pillar that is green, and you jump down. Into the Pharaon region. Yes. And a cutscene happens, unexpectedly, as you're diving down. Some would say the best cutscene in Skyward Sword. So Link uh, jumps down, as normal, as you do. Mm-hmm. But he looks up, and Gruus is falling down with him. <laughs> yeah. Gruus tracked him. Yeah. Like, and jumped. <laughs> And Link has a very good face. Yeah. And uh, Groot just grabs onto Link and grabs his legs and starts kicking him in the air, trying to propel himself up. And then Link uh, deploys his parachute. And they still come in way too fast and they hit with a big old boom. <laughs> this is really daring for Groot. It is incredible. Can you imagine? He admits later on in this cutscene he had no idea there was anything under the clouds he thought there was nothing but link keeps coming back so oh yeah it is an act of immense courage and recklessness he stares slack jawed at the tiny birds that exist on the surface Uh which are alighting on him like a disney princess and then he looks at the goron and says what is that thing which is rude (laughs) Gorko just wanders through the forefront of the scene. It's great. Yeah, Groose has a lot of moments where he's like, what is that? What is that? It's so many alien things. All the giant trees and the little birds and the huge rock people. And Link, I guess there's a slight scene where he waves around and explains things to Groose. He like pats Groose on the shoulder. He's like, okay. What's here. with all these trees? <laughs> it's so many trees. And... <laughs> I think this is also where Bruce cries out of relief because Zelda's okay. Yeah. He does. Poor Bruce. I think (laughs) that the use of birds alighting on Bruce is an interesting bit of artistic flair because at first it feels like they're just being funny that this bullyish character would have birds alight on him like a cartoon about, like, people who are really kind in nature and whatnot. But at the same time, it kind of communicates more about him because birds alighting on saints is also an artistic mode to communicate purity of heart. He's like the android... Yeah, he's like Android 16. Oh, is that a thing? Android 16 with birds alighting on him? Oh, saints. Uh, yeah. At least with Saint Francis, I think. 
that's why it's Snow White has it. Yeah. And it's Android 16. And Android 16, yes. And birds can feel the tremors of your heart. Okay. Yeah. And Bruce decides that there must be a name fitting for this rugged, adventurous wilderness. Grooseland. Perfect. <laughs> the, the musical cues are so great, too, because it, they play Grooce's theme in a whole bunch of different ways, but this is the part where it, the tr- trombone or whatever goes, or right. trumpet goes, <laughs> I might have to see if I can edit those bits in. Yes. So, Grooseland, eh? So now Groose starts getting, he starts being a smug boy again. He's like, all right, Link, thanks for getting me down here. You can head on home now. I'll find Zelda for you. And then he just kind of like charges off back to the temple, right? Yeah. He runs over to the old lady and I think you walk in where he's yelling at the old lady saying like, oh, I'm going to be the one to save her. And, you know, the old lady's like, uh, someone else's destiny Destined since before you were born. Sorry. I only speak the truth. You are not the one who will save her. The spirit maiden, your Zelda, can only be saved by another. It has been his fate to do this thing, and in so doing, save us. As it was decided long before you were brought crying into this world. Shut it, Granny! (laughs) Whoa. But I thought Groose was Neville Longbottom. No. Groose is still... A uh, fiery personality. He's the red ogre. Is Neville the one who actually fit the prophecy something something? Yeah. Oh, okay. He he's the milk and toast pushover Gryffindor. Oh okay. So Groose is the exact fucking opposite of Neville, but yeah. also he fits. What are those discussion about him fitting much like Link into this whole grand destiny thing? I don't think that there's actually discussion no, of him. We talked about this. Oh yeah, in yeah. a Previous episode. We'll talk about it more when we get to the end. Yeah. This starts Groose's long quest of um, trying to figure out what his purpose is and why he's there. But this is like him coming up against the first obstacle, which is Granny being yeah. like, it's not you, man. You're not going to do that. Don't but be But you can so... do other things. Yeah. Well, she gets into that after this next yeah. bit. Oh, boy. Uh... <laughs> I just Groose like this. runs away crying. He says, wham. <laughs> yeah. Wham. <laughs> that is what happens. The old lady is very intimidating. She I is. Suppose. She carries all that weight of authority. And Groose, as much as he's disrespectful to Link, does actually recognize authority. And if people exude that sense of authority, which Link doesn't or didn't, then he'll respect them. Um, now that the old lady and Link are alone, she talks to him. I guess Link relays what happened and... She's like, oh, you got to play your harp. Uh, she does tell you here that the guardian escorting the spirit maiden is known as Impa. Yeah, well, Zelda calls Impa Impa all the time, too. Is she, was she actually named up to now? Because yes. it, it's framed here like the old lady's revealing the name. Definitely during that Girahim and Impa battle. Okay. Zelda goes, Impa. Impa, that's right. When she gets, like, blasted. Yes. She refers to Impa as a being sent forth by the goddess to aid Zelda. Yes. Not a, a person. Yeah, that's a very dehumanizing way to refer to Impa, old lady. <laughs> that's kind of mean. What do you think the significance of that is, Crystal? I don't think the Sheikah have, like, a civilization. I think they are created ad hoc. At this point in time. Yes. And that right now, Impa is the only Sheikah. 
Yeah, because she only needs the one at this point. She needs more, she'll make them. Though we do, by the time of Breath of the Wild, they are definitely their own culture and their own ethnicity. Right, at that point, Sheikah culture has, has spread to the Hillians. Oh, is do they have red eyes anymore in Breath yeah, of the Wild? they do. Ah. Hmm. What an interesting thought. I don't know about that. I'd have to think about that, the idea that... No, I, I think that the Sheikah in Breath of the Wild are Sheikah and not Hylians. We do have signs that there's Sheikahs in the background, unless Impa did all of this stuff, because the time shift stones have Sheikah eyes on them. Oh, yes. So, who knows? Yeah, it's just that this is... Maybe Impa's the last of the surviving Sheikah, much like the character Impa in Ocarina of Time. Of course, the Sheikah did not survive into the oral tradition of Skyloft. Mm-hmm. No. Or maybe what, they were created after that. What needed they to know of the bloody past of the servants of Hylia? Mm. There's still a shadow temple, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> um, this is where... The old woman teaches you how to use the harp, which is pressing down on your Wiimote. Is this the worst of the instruments in the Zelda series in yes. terms of feedback? Yeah. Like... It's worse than the pan flute. Oh, absolutely. The pan flute is prob- is problematic because of the quality of the microphone on the DS or 3DS, but this goddamn harp. It's not very interesting, aside from the fact that you can just whip it out as you walk around and just harp yourself everywhere. <laughs> yeah that's kind of nice but the the whole sequence like the old woman here will start singing and she's like you know wave your wiimote to the time of my singing and the little flower thing or beam of light beneath me and it's like okay wave 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 one of the reasons the legend of zelda should have full voice acting is that i can hear Kiefer sutherland say Link, use the Wii remote in time with the glowing circle. No. <laughs> I like One the, of the reasons they should never be voiced. Did you voice miss out. out that she said Impa voiced by Kiefer Sutherland? Who's yeah. Kiefer Sutherland? You know, Jack, the, the voice of Big Boss. Oh, okay. Kiefer Sutherland voiced Big Boss in MGSV. The Phantom Pain and Ground Zeroes. Whereas in uh, Metal Gear Solid 4, he was voiced by Paul... Robert Paulson, I think. Some, I don't think he it also, was Robert Paulson. It was the voice of Pius Augustus. Shut up. Don't look at me like that. I really liked Eternal Darkness back in the day. Get off my back. Now, when I search Big Boss voice on Google, it brings up the Big Boss Indian reality show. Well, that does make sense. It's probably much more popular than Metal Gear Solid. You're thinking of Richard Doyle. Richard Doyle! Thank you. Jesus. Cool. Robert Paulson is the guy from Fight Club. Who? who? His name was Robert Paulson. Oh, weird. I don't care about Fight Club at all. Why would that name come It's a good video game. Whoa. Was it? Yeah. Was it like a brawler? It was a fighting game. What a weird direction to take Fight Club in. Did you else? Uh, I guess I'd make like a text adventure or an interactive. Or like a uh, uh, visual novel. Okay, but this was being released on the PlayStation 2 in like 2004. Oh, you definitely shouldn't put a brawler on the PlayStation 2. So the Gate of Time pops up. Yeah, Gate of Time, whatever. A a giant alarm clock. Well, it doesn't look like an alarm clock. It looks like a gear. Uh, Gear. The other ones do not. No. What? 
at this point, it's just a big slab. A big slab appears. A big slab. It doesn't do the alarm. Kind of looks kind of similar to the giant alarm clock. Um, it looks like it's made out of time shift stones. Yeah. Impa keeps referring to the past as another world. Uh-huh. Hmm. That's an interesting choice of words. Yes. Yes, it is. What do you make of that? She recognizes this timeline split. Which has already happened and just needs to be codified. Right. Mm. Because the very existence of the gate of time has already split the timelines at the anchor point as soon as it's used. Yeah, it already will happen. It just needs to have happened. (laughs) And it has happened now that Zelda has used it. Right. Now it just needs to will happen. Yeah. Now (laughs) it needs to will happen. So, yeah, the specific line is the this gate of time is the only portal binding our world to the one where Zelda now resides. Interesting. Um, oh, and it also is heavily implied because Link takes so long to get the gate of time activated that this is another case in which they are anchored to specific moments, not to synchronized flows. Mm-hmm. Because he shows up like seconds after Zelda does, in spite of having to go through another two or three dungeons. Yeah. So very shortly after, or maybe not, she does have to travel from Lanayru all the way to. Very shortly after, the ground starts shaking. Oh. But sorry. Uh, oh, interesting. So you think that Zelda walked through the Gate of Time in the Temple of Time, and there was another matching gate there. Because for some reason, I just imagine she walked through that gate and, and then came, came out, out the other side of... Here. Yeah, the sealed temple. Crystal, what do you think? I don't see why she couldn't have also transported through space as well as time. Mm-hmm. As they are one thing. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it, it, it's, it, yeah, that does make... That makes good sense to me. You can tell it already will have happened because Impa is wearing the bracelet. Yes. We'll get to that later, <laughs> but it's completely fucked up. That yeah. she's wearing that bl- bracelet as of right now. No, it's like it's like when you're say, it's like when you're like tying a string between two points, and you've already tied one end. You just need to tie the other end. Crystal, you know how Impa has a very good word for word verbatim memory that can stretch across thousands of years. Uh huh. And how she still manages to be utterly and completely surprised by what happens at the end of the game. Yeah. We'll talk about it at the end of the game. Okay. That's why I say, like, fucking extra temporal, no, pan temporal interference, but it's conditional on certain factors. Skyward Sword's ending gets weird. We'll so you think perhaps <laughs> she does not understand what, what is this bracelet? I think she, from her perspective, has always been wearing it. Oh. And, and she won't know why until the past will happen. Okay. We'll talk about this on part nine of five. Part no. nine of five. Uh-huh. On part five of five, we'll we will undoubtedly get to this. Okay, so we established grand- before that the demon tribe is a fork of the dark interlopers. Yeah. Uh-huh. That their conflict happened before the Hillian invasion. Some of them were driven into the earth and then. Oh burst no. Out. We we actually didn't agree on this point. Oh. No, because uh, Monica and I, I think that we've been operating off the assumption that the Dark Interloper conflict is actually the war between Demise and Hylia. Yeah, and and, in one branch, they will turn into the Dark Interlopers. Or rather, they'll become the Twily. And then Twily. But in every other branch, they become 
later on they become the people of the other side of the Mirror of Twilight in Four Swords Adventures. But no, it's not two separate conflicts. When Midna says that they remember how they lost their king in that conflict, that king was Demise. Oh, so they were already demons at the time. Yes, and the Twilight Realm had a calming effect. Okay. Left without anything to maraud, they turned inward and became more peaceful. And I guess that Batro is a good sign of this. Yeah. Eventually they would all come to see things as he did, except for those some few who remembered that hunger. So those some few with their red hair. Mm. Uh. Ah. Okay, back to the shaking ground. <laughs> <laughs> and the seal... Now we're all thinking about Twilight Princess again, but in a cool way. In a cool way. This game makes Twilight Princess cooler, I think. I think so. The seal has been broken because whatever has been sealed, the imprisoned, uh, got uh, the, the sense of the gate coming out. It's like it affected some part of the fabric of the seal, and the power that has been held shackled down is now heaving against its bonds. Mm-hmm. Um, you run outside... Groose is fr- freaking out. Where does Groose run in? Either way, Groose freaks out. Um, He's the like, old lady's like, go take care of this. I like Groose being like, the whole ground is heaving. I thought it was supposed to be solid down here. <laughs> Poor Groose. He's having a lot of his assumptions challenged. Yeah. In rapid fire. And Link has to go check on the ceiling spike. And when you run down there, um, a big toothy boy. <laughs> Mr. Teethy Wiggly Toes. Yeah. This is where we see his wiggly toes. It's the first time we see his big wiggly toes. He shows up. And it's the imprisoned. And he's very... I still find the appearance of all of its individual scales waving next to its body very impressive looking for a wee monster. Yeah, it's it's got this sheen to it. This reddish sheen. Like, just the fact that all of its scales look like they're rendered individually blew my mind a little bit in 2011. It's like, how's the wee doing that? Crystal, do you like the imprisoned? I like how goofy the imprisoned is. <laughs> I like when you get a brief shot of its mouth, and inside his mouth is like a, a sphincter. Well, that's like the that's like a throat, yeah. But yeah, that's not so. how a human throat works. Not quite. No. It's not that far removed from like an alligator throat, really. Okay, I'm not too familiar with alligator anatomy. Well, don't be. Okay. <laughs> um, the the imprisoned, like, it's really amazing how Link doesn't freak out because it's like... 50 fucking feet tall. Yeah. And, it, and roaring and stamping. And made of nothing but teeth. Yes. And so this is the first fight out of three that you have to do with it. And the imprisoned fights are interesting because more than any other fights in Skyward Sword, they're puzzles. You have to figure out how to address them. And once you figure it out, they're in fact very easy. But if you don't know how to address them, they can feel impossible. This is a timed battle. The first one is definitely the easiest. And I think that the second one is actually the hardest. Yeah. Because what you do in the first one, how you address the problem, is going to determine how you try to address it in the second one. And that can make things either much easier or much harder. So the two ways you can fight Mr. Wigglytoes, first one is what will probably become most evident to the the average player. Um, you run over to the very gleaming white toes, and he's got four on each foot, three on the front, one on the back. And you just kind of 
beat at him, trying not to get stomped on at the same time. And every time he stomps a little... Not um, in the first no, one, this I time. Think. Okay. So, trying not to get stomped on. And once you hit all of the jelly beans, he just falls over. He just, like, completely eat, eats shit and slips and falls onto his back and is like... He's like a big turtle. Yeah, and then you just kind of whap up the ceiling spike. You drive it into drive his head. Drive it into his head. And you have to do it twice. Yeah. Um, when he gets up again, he will start slithering. And he's going up the... Spiral. Spiral to the temple, the sealed temple, to assumedly destroy it, but maybe access the gate of time. Either way, if it reaches the sealed temple, it's the end of the world. Yep. Because this poor, pathetic, goofy creature that is like falling down and wiggling its legs and not having a very good time of it because it doesn't know how to use its own body too good is the devil. Yeah. It's demise. Um, the other way you can beat the imprisoned, there's two ways to do this. One is running up ahead of it and then jumping down from a higher part of the spiral to its head directly as which, it's walking which is pretty easy to do because the entirety of the arena is covered in uh spouts of pressurized air and if you stand on them link will ride his um parachute up onto a higher level yeah and then you jump directly onto his dangle head but another option that you have is right at the center of the spiral where the imprisoned came out is this really giant blast of air and you can ride that really, really, really high, and Link goes into his like skydiving sequence, and you can just gently float down. I think of that as being like an emergency measure for if you fall off at just the wrong angle and need to get back up in a hurry because it's already so high. Yeah, either way. Because the most efficient way to do it by far is to use the smaller spouts. Yeah, but I mean, I, I find aiming much easier on the large spout. But you feel very cool because it's moving and you're on it and you, you whap the ceiling spike in on its head. Which seals it again. You uh -huh. do it three times. Three times you knock it down in there and then what happens? Uh, after you do this, you have to actually put in the seal. Oh, you, oh sorry. After you drive in the ceiling spike, it kind of poofs into a million dark scales. And then they just kind of hover around for a while while you are directed by Impa to wave your sword around to perform a, a seal ritual. Mm. I don't know if this is him casting magic or activating. Well, he's definitely activating a magical thing. Um, in this case, you draw an upside down triangle mm. um, to seal him. That's the one of the symbols. <laughs> yeah, the Tetra Force. The Tetra Force. God. The, the seal is actually drawn onto the ground, too. So um, surrounding the ceiling spike is a triangle. The Tetra Force lasted so much longer than the single link theory. Do you think that Zelda, that the incarnation of Zelda in Wind Waker is called Tetra as a foreshadowing to the development of Hylia, the fourth goddess, the Tetra Force? No. <laughs> I don't know. What is the reason she's called Tetra? We don't really know. I have no idea. It definitely sent everybody up the wall. It's not Tetra Force, though. It's not the Tetra Force. Oh. I don't think the Tetra Force is actually... I think the introduction of Hylia has added credence to the theory. How is that? Because she is the fourth goddess. She is very much on a level that's beneath the old gods of the Triforce. Right, no one said the Tetra Force was equivalent to the Triforce. 
A lot of people do say that, actually, or That's did. True. A lot of people did say that. In the long, <laughs> long ago. The thing about it, though, is that, like, one of the fun things about this game is that even though the gods of the Triforce are characterized as goddesses as of the time of Ocarina of Time, and also, I think, maybe Twilight Princess, I can't remember if they use gendered terms there or not, they're very much not gendered at all in the ancient world of Skyward Sword when spoken of by Hylia. They're barely even personified. Yeah, it's like something made the Triforce and some remnant of their power outside of it is still in the world, but they're so distant and unknowable that the goddess who watches the world from outside of time knows them no better than Link knows her. They're, might you might even say they're merely a philosophical concept. Yeah. Rather than any concrete force. Hmm. The con force. That the Triforce is just something that exists, and the gods made a story to explain it. The spirits of good had to explain the provenance of the world? Yes. The no. gods of the gods. <laughs> That's actually a pretty cool idea. I kind of like it. I don't know if I buy into it, but I like it. You can't be an atheist in The Legend of Zelda. Because you can just talk to the gods. Yeah. But you can be a meta-atheist and say the gods <laughs> of the gods aren't real. Oh, boy. Yeah, where does that... It's like, where did Hylia come from? Uh? So after things calm down and you talk to Imp again... They they do end up being worship. Like, I, I still think that the Triforce gods are equated with Hylia as of the time of Ocarina of Time. That's okay. why they're worshipped as goddesses. Uh yeah, probably. Yeah, that's part of the cult of Hylia infecting the understanding of the Triforce. Sorry. Um, you talk to Impa, and she remarks that you will have to power up your sword and do a Skyward Strike on the Gate of Time to activate it. But right now, your your sword is not in the right condition, and you're too weak and unrefined. Yeah, you personally are not good enough. And so you must, uh, you and your sword must grow together. And you must purify your sword in the flames. Um, there's a sacred flame hidden in each of the three places. The three places you've gone to. Yeah. Um, and she the she taught you the ballad of the goddess, which has clues that you must uncover in Skyloft to locate the flames. And she's like, "Okay, so you know everything that you need to do in theory. Go back to Skyloft and figure out things from there. Everything relies on you." And Groose is there, and he's sad. <laughs> We've got Groose actually starting his journey here because he's been brought to his absolute lowest point. Yeah. He has no faith in himself or his ability to play a part. His dream is unclear? No, his dream was clear, but he found out it's impossible. Ah, uh, okay. Impa assures him that he has a role or something. The, uh, the Hyrule Historia has an interesting take on this section of the game. Oh, uh, yeah? All the while, Link continued with his task of tempering the goddess sword in the sacred flames of the golden goddesses. Imbued with the immense sacred power of the Force, the goddess uh. sword was transformed into the master sword. But that's more or less in keeping with the events that happen in the game. But the specific mention of Force. Well, I mean, the one Force. I guess. Even so. as far back as Link to the Past, the Master Sword was described as being forged with a power that was supposed to combat the Triforce itself. Mm-hmm. It was the an- that weapon is the answer to Ganon carrying the Triforce. 
That's a very old concept in the series, I think, unless I'm misremembering. Uh, Crystal, do you remember that from the Link to the Past backstory? That sounds familiar. Yeah. Sounds familiar. What are what are these flames? The essence of the gods left behind. The, the names of Din, Nehru, and Ferori are here. They sure are. Yep. Which means that those names are canonical as far as Hylia knows, and Hylia probably knows. I... Do love the idea that Link has to purify himself, much like Zelda earlier purified herself in the springs. Link. Or with the springs. Link forges himself as he forges his sword. Uh huh. Similar to Zelda's quest. That will be brought up later. Uh huh. Whew. So we need to solve the mystery of the Ballad of the Goddess. Uh huh. And you wander back up to Skyloft and. You're like, gee, who can teach me this song? I guess we haven't talked to wise old owl guy in a while. Yeah, let's go talk to Zelda's dad, because we saw Zelda. And nobody else has the faintest clue of all Anything. this. Anything. Like, so. This is one of those games where Link works in obscurity to the people that he knows. Just like the Kokiri Forest. And Kapora tells you there is verse two of the ballad, because you saw you heard the first part when Zelda sang it. Verse two involves uh, two whirling sails and a light tower. Do you want to read out that part? Which part? Oh, youth. There's like six old youths. The oh. second one? <laughs> sure. Okay, the specific... You can ask Gapora to either relay the lyrics to you just as lyrics or to sing them. And either way, he's not comfortable singing, so he just tells them to you. Oh, youth, guided by the servant of the goddess... Unite earth and sky and bring light to the land. That's verse one. That's the first part. But as I recall, there's a second verse to the song. O youth, show the two whirling sails the way to the light tower, and before you a path shall open, and a heavenly song you shall hear. I believe that's the whole thing. Now, Deborah <laughs> does mention here that the light tower is actually a real place that's on Skyloft. It's that giant sort of lighthouse tower yeah. thing yeah yeah so uh, this is i can see why they didn't spread this one around this particular verse because it is very much not tonally in keeping with that first one yeah it's like kind of very direct even though kapora has no idea about what these two whirling sails could possibly be there are two giant ass windmills on this island yes yeah <laughs> i wonder what this could be yeah, the point is, it's not a very good song once you get past that first verse. No. I guess everybody just sings the first verse over and over again. Yeah, they got to. I mean, it's only done during the goddess ceremony. It's like the Star Spangled Banner. Uh, do people not sing the entire Star Spangled Banner? No. I haven't been to a sporting event in you, a long time. You sing the they... first verse. You end with the home of the free and the land of the brave. Oh, you don't talk right. about the the really racist parts. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Oh, right. There are more verses, aren't there? Yeah, there's verses to the poem, but were they ever made part of the song? I mean, you can fit them to the tune. You know what? You're probably not wrong. She is absolutely right. Why does Googling the Star Spangled Banner pull up the Super Bowl whatever number on the top? Well, it's coming up. Who's Super Bowling? I don't know. (laughs) Star Spangled Banner lyrics. Yeah, the second verse begins with on the shore dimly seen through the mists of the deep, etc. Mm-hmm. The it ends with tis the star-spangled banner, along may it wave over the land of the free and the home of the brave. Yeah. You know, it's talking about a whole 
tower. This is a battle being described. No, I'm just talking about the gleam of the morning's first beam, and suddenly it's Skyward Sword telling you how to direct your, oh, yeah. your windmills. Or the land of the free and the home of the brave. And if you stand on this spot and look over in this direction, <laughs> you'll be shown where you need to go next for it this quest. It will shine a light into the Thunderhead Dome thing. Yeah. And you'll talk to Levius. Levius? Uh-huh. Oh, He's my favorite over. Leviathan. Now, hold on a minute. I feel like we might be skipping some parts here. Look at a few. A few? You Many. Sk- Many. Okay. Um, because Link is not a big dummy, he wanders around and finds the windmills. And one of the windmills has a little pinwheel underneath it. And you're like, ah, I got a blowy machine. That blow on the pinwheel. And yes, the, the whole windmill swivels over to the light tower and... To make sure you know that you did the right thing, a little light turns on, like a little check mark, on the windmill. And you oh wander boy. over to the... <laughs> I just remembered this whole thing. Yeah. Uh-huh. You wander over to the other windmill, and there's no pinwheel there, and Link is like, ah. Kukiel's dad is there. Yes. He's the carpenter. And he's like, I'm fixing this. I can fix it for you. But the pinwheel thing fell off. And you know, in the past... You know, sorry, it fell off into the clouds. It's probably gone. Yeah, but in the past, we had this, like, robot thing that would fly beneath the clouds and fetch things. And I think, you know, the the robot is still being held by one of those people in the plaza. You should probably go speak into the bazaar. Didn't he say Gondo, specifically? He probably knows Gonzo, yeah. Yeah. So you wander over to the plaza, and now you have a reason to, to fix the robot. Gondo, help. Is, is it Gonzo or Gondo? It's Gondo with a D. Okay. Anyway, and he's like, yeah, I I have this robot thing that's called Scrapper. My grandpappy was trying to work on him. Yeah. And actually, if you go to his house at night, he's constantly trying to repair it. His mom's not amused. It was passed down to him by his grandfather, but it seems like it was operational then. Ah. It was operational all the way up to that point. But to fix it, he needs some sort of an ancient flower or the oil from an ancient flower. And what what the heck could that be? And if it's ancient, it probably doesn't exist anymore. So who could possibly do that? And Link's probably just goes, huh, here you go. And Gondo does not freak out as much as he ought to. Yeah, he, he, he's, he seems prepared for this. I love the sound effects as Scrapper powers up, which is... My <laughs> so what are you about to do? My favorite dialogue exchanges in video games are when you accept a fetch quest for someone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you already have the item. Yeah. So like, oh, oh, it's so you good. You mean this? Oh, it's lovely. And you're like, I don't have to walk anywhere. It's already been done. Free XP. It's probably why, I don't know if it's the same with you, Crystal, but that's probably why I like to do things as early as possible in a video game. Yes. Do all the side questing. Yeah. I like to clear all the question marks on the map. Right, and the rush you get as somebody goes, oh, you have it already? It's just so good. Um, the robot powers up with that vert chunk, vert whoosh, and identifies you as Master Short Pants. It's funny that Scrapper immediately recognizes Gondo as the person that he's supposed to be listening to. Right. But it's like, when Gondo's like, yeah, you should really be thanking that kid over there, Scrapper looks over and says, are you sure it was him? Well then, I extend my reluctant thanks to you in a gesture of obligatory gratitude. Because <laughs> Scrapper's a dick. But only to Link. 
That's what he gets for wearing short pants. <laughs> he does not wear short pants, actually. They go all the way down to his boots. It's very regular pants, but maybe he can't see that part and just sees the tunic. In which case, it, it, it is a very short set of pants. Right. I guess from Scrapper's perspective, he can kind of see Uplink's tunic. <laughs> oh, no. That's too short. Well, I mean, Scrapper's always floating in the air. What he says specifically is, serving children is very low in my task priority. Yes. So he sees Link as a child. This green-clad individual of small stature. Link's not oh. that small in this game. He's no, he's actually small. pretty regular-sized. And Scrapper's all heeing and hawing about not wanting to do shit. And then Five pops out and is like, hey... uh, Listen, we should really try and figure out where that uh, pinwheel fail. And Scrapper takes one look at Fi, and he does like the cartoon blowing his stack thing, where he's like, "Oh my God, you're so beautiful!" Like where the heart jumps out and then yeah. eyeballs, and then yeah. okay. And he immediately starts calling her Mistress Fi, and he is serving her now. Fuck Gondo. It's a, and mean, Fi's I, I'm like, glad that Fi's not that unnerved by it. Fi does give him a very long ellipses. Well, she concludes that you can now fetch the pinwheel from beneath the clouds. And she's like, we now have the means to bring the propeller back to Skyloft. And and Scrapper, I don't know, like Wi-Fi or Bluetooth connects with Fi? Yeah, he can detect uh, Fi's thought waves. She can communicate with him telepathically. Through like kilometers. Yeah, many kilometers. Through the barrier between worlds. Can we talk about how even without... The, the pillars of light like there were generations of skyloftians that sent the robot down though yes what's with that i don't know what you're asking it's either well it seems to perhaps conflict with your theory that skyloft is in a different dimension i don't think so it just means to me that the tr- that the robots powered by time shift stones can punch through that barrier between worlds okay so <laughs> You go down into the lower world. Where is this thing again? It's in uh, Elden, right? Elden. Mm-hmm. And then is there any funny thing you have to do to get the damn thing? You just have to find it. You can douse for it. Right. But there's no like secret puzzle you have to solve. No. You, you blow. You uncover it from the dust. And you take. And Scrapper takes it back up into the sky. Uh-huh. And then you set it on the windmill. And you blow on the windmill. And the windmill turns around. And it gives you a green check mark so you know that everything is good. Uh-huh. Then you wander over to the, the light tower and you play the song of the Ballad of the Goddess. Yep. And a giant ass light shows up because it is a literal um, lighthouse. Yep, it is a lighthouse. And it beams a light into the storm cloud. The big thunderhead, which we haven't really talked about at all up to now. Like a third of the sky is taken up by this enormous storm cloud that people talk about occasionally but we haven't been able to go near because it's utterly impenetrable to your loft wing uh-huh and it's like levius is supposed to be over there but something's odd well i guess we gotta go see what's up and follow this beam of light to wherever it's pointing this is actually a bit before levius like we're trying to access something in there levius don't show up yet right but they think levius is in there yeah, the, the Skyloftians do know of Levius. Of course. He's the guardian spirit of the sky. It's only very recently that that thunderhead cropped up over his territory. Specifically the guardian spirit of the dimension known as the sky. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, you fly over and through the beam of light into the thunderhead. And the, the beam of light points all the way through to this giant tower. It looks like a silo, actually. 
near the end of the or the back of the place back of what place the thunderhead oh okay and you land down and you have to solve a puzzle and there's this really lovely music playing did you already put this as the opening or ending of i don't think that i did but i can put it here okay also it's the isle of songs how long have we been recording Oh, that would be about uh, one hour and 40 minutes. Should we stop at the Isle of Songs? Yeah, let's stop at the Isle of Songs. Okay. We only have uh, four more dungeons to go. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we'll, we're going to do this. We're going to get done in uh, th- five. This is part four of the five-part series. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, yeah. Yeah. The number, the denominator will always be five. Is That's my true. promise to you, listeners. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, we've landed on a mysterious island that is a little bit rainy and a little bit sad sounding. It's such a lovely song. Uh-huh. I'm going to have to dig through the soundtrack to find this because it's not called the right thing in my versions of these MP3 files. It's also what plays at the Statue of the Goddess. Oh, is it the same song? Yep. Hmm. I don't think I've used it yet. I guess I could use it as the ending here. Um, I guess the final remark is that Phi has memories of this island. Ooh. She tells you its name. Ooh. The Island of Songs. Island of okay. Songs. Kim, where can people send us questions? You can send us questions to the podcast email, bookofmedorapodcast at gmail.com. That's bookofmedorapodcast at gmail.com. We have a wealth of emails. Thank you for sending them in. We're Yay. all about them. Oh, Sparrow is supposed to tell you where the damn thing fell. Uh, you know, yeah. we don't we don't actually need to recount all the specific details of the filler. I don't know. <laughs> Link makes it to the Isle of Songs. Okay. But I think that it's also important to communicate the shit you have to go through. It's yeah. a bunch of filler. It, it it's filler, but it's also a little bit of world building in it because Sparrow's actually useful. But you must have spotted the pinwheel. You didn't you must have shit. You can spot the the pinwheel. Anyway, we did it for Twilight Princess just to illustrate how much it dragged in the last third. So we might as well do it in Skyward Sword where it comes up. Our first email comes in from Caleb. Hello, Crystal, Monica, and Cameron. Now that you guys are rounding up some of the last few games in the series, I've been thinking a lot about where certain games fall in the official timeline and rethinking where maybe they should be. There are a couple things I'd like to get your thoughts on. First, I feel that Zelda 1 and Zelda 2 fit much better in the adult timeline. Hear me out on this one. When we visit Hyrule in both of these games, the land seems very desolate and empty. I propose that leading up to Spirit Tracks and the years after, the floodwaters had receded. A new Zelda decided that she would return to the land of her ancestors, the land that once held the Triforce and reestablished the Old Kingdom. Artifacts of the past were found, records of the Old Kingdom and its heroes were found, and the kingdom began to be repopulated into the Little Kingdom of Hyrule. Villages and towns would be named in honor of the heroes of legend, including the Seven Sages that helped Link and Zelda defeat Ganondorf. Among these artifacts, they rediscovered the Triforce of Wisdom from legend, and was held by Zelda herself. Not only this, those that would resurrect Ganon also returned to the land, found the Triforce of Power, and unopposed succeeded in reviving him, but weakened. Though he had the Triforce of Power, Ganon sought to regain his power through collecting the three Triforces, Wisdom, Power, and Courage, which was unaccounted for. 
This set forth the events of Zelda 1. After Ganon was defeated by Link, and when he was deemed worthy, the lost Triforce of Courage was bestowed upon Link once again by the gods. This begins the story of Zelda 2. Now to really speed this up, after Ocarina of Time, Zelda sent Link back in time, and she began to prepare the land for the return of Ganondorf. Because the land was historically a matriarchy and not a patriarchy, Zelda was set to become the new queen after the death of her mother, before the events of Ocarina. Her brother, however, sought to rule instead, being influenced by a wizard who sent to break through the newly formed seal on Ganondorf, put a spell on her. In other words, the Zelda that we see in Zelda 2 is none other than the Zelda from Ocarina of Time. In summary, Hyrule is a matriarchy in which the Queen's light force holds firm the seal of Ganondorf. This is why there is never a queen when Ganondorf returns, and the king always seems to be poorly suited to rule and Princess Zelda not yet ready or strong enough to hold the seal. We know in Zelda 2 that there are two kingdoms of Hyrule. I propose this is new Hyrule from Spirit Tracks and the old kingdom re-established after Spirit Tracks. This is why we see villages named after sages, which wouldn't have existed in the Accursed timeline. The Zelda we see is Zelda 2... The Zelda we see in Zelda 2 is Zelda from Ocarina of Time, after a coup by her brother the prince resulted in a spell on Zelda that put her into a deep sleep and was sealed away for centuries under the Great Sea. This theory is admittedly pretty convoluted, but one I think makes sense. I apologize for the lengthy email, but I'd love to hear your opinions on this. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Caleb. Thanks, Caleb. Thank you, Caleb. This would make Ocarina of Time Zelda very unfortunate. <laughs> I, I think a stumbling point, I, I do like the explanation of the sages becoming the names of the villages. Yeah. That's great. I think a stumbling point of this is if it's Ocarina of Time, Zelda, like we have no hint of any sort of brother. And also, I suppose it would mean that the king had active control of the Triforce at the time. Uh-huh. He had the entire Triforce and then he died. Mm. And some sort of other wizard... I do, fortune teller. I do think that the setting of the series so far lends credence to the idea that the matriarchal line of Zelda is very important for keeping evil sealed. Yeah. And it's true that Ganon or whatever evil of the era only returns at such time when there isn't a queen around. Yes, that's a very cogent observation. Uh-huh. It's more of an effect of the idea that this series is just really bad about including moms right but, it's a <laughs> yeah it's a good it's a good way to uh reframe that i suppose yeah it's like the most feminist possible reading of this series is particular brand of uh maternal bullshit or paternal bullshit um but yeah it, 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 it's a fun theory i like it i do wonder what the explanation is for resurrecting Ganondorf when he's not dead at the end of Wind Waker. Right, the main advantage of this theory seems to be to explain the names of the towns. Mm-hmm. But I think you, you in getting there, you have to make a lot more assumptions. Yeah, there's certain questions about the, the, the way that the games interrelate that... I mean, as far as this goes, on the Accursed Timeline, you could theoretically, theoretically place Zelda 1 and Zelda 2 after, say, uh, Twilight Princess, maybe? I mean, just in theory, because Ganon's super dead in that one. 
the chief reason that we place Zelda 1 and Zelda 2 on the Accursed timeline is that that's the timeline that we're using to group together all the games where Ganon keeps coming back after death. The strong canonical indications for games that definitely occur on the adult and child timelines is that when Ganon dies once, it's over and he's gone. Right. The non-Accursed timeline is defined by a a specific man, Ganondorf Dragmire. Yeah. Even though this didn't quite work out. According to our understanding. Yeah, according to our understanding. People should keep on sending them in. Yeah. Because there are definitely very interesting and fully credible snippets that we can pull from. Yeah. Please. Please keep sending these in. Because the most important thing to remember is that any version of the timeline, whether it's made by us or by our listeners or even by Nintendo themselves, if it's not inherent to the text of the games, then it is a fan work. Mm -hmm. Both transformative and... uh, Oh, hell, what's the word? Uh, You know, there's two kinds of fan work. There's transformative fan work like fanfic, and then there's blank fan work like wikis. I can't remember the word either. God damn it. Either way. It's about taking information and tallying it together. And timelines are kind of an intersection between those two things. So any idea that you send in is, of course, just as valid as ours are. And we're going to see it through the lens of our particular biases. But they're a lot of fun to read. And I do like this. I like the extra bit of symmetry that it adds where Ocarina of Time Zelda remains as important as she ever was, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And I guess she has to go to war with the current Zelda to reclaim her throne. No, but there's two high rules. <laughs> oh, there's two high rules. But then again, in this, is there two high rules? What happened to the Spirit Tracks version of the Old Kingdom in this? Did they just leave that kingdom behind to return to Hyrule? It was still drowned out. No, because the Spirit Tracks Kingdom is what's being referred to as the two kingdoms of Hyrule. Oh, oh. New Hyrule got flooded. That water is that had where- to go somewhere. Water had to go somewhere. That's harsh. I, I, I am... The reason I don't like putting any extant Zelda games after... Well, I guess some could. The reason I don't like putting any Zelda games with Ganon after Spirit Tracks is I, I would... It's imp, it's very important to the story of the Wind Waker that that shit is all done with. Yeah, and Spirit Tracks is a capstone to the series. Like, that could be the last... Zelda game ever on a given timeline and it fits perfectly. Triforce Heroes could go after it. Triforce Heroes could go after it. It's just right for that. Next email is from Tem. Does Pippet's mom got it going on? Sleeping in her bed is the funniest of all the beds. What happens if you sleep in her bed? Nothing really. It's a very dusty bed, but I guess you could brush off or blow off the dust first. Uh, Tem, this is a very timely email because, yes, we have established that Pippet's mom is um, getting her rocks off by hiring... Ah. (laughs) Maybe getting her rocks off by hiring a strapping young thing to clean up her space. To maybe blow wind in her face. Yeah. And blow wind in her face. It seems like the only explanation, unless her house gets a lot dustier or... Every Skyloftian is just constantly cleaning yeah, I every mean, they, second of the day. They got to do something with their time. I guess. They just clean a lot, and she doesn't. Well. What, what do you think, Crystal? Does Pippet's mom got it going on? I think uh, Pippet's mom is too severely depressed to have much interest in sex. Oh, no. Yeah, she's not in a good place to have a relationship right now, and it's affecting the relationship that she has with her son. 
That's rough. That's sad. That's just where people go sometimes. Oh, would you prefer if she was just kind of a dirty lady? Well, if... She is a dirty no. lady. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is horrible. Well, if it's done very discreetly so that Link has no idea what's going on and just thinks that he's... Cleaning. You know, cleaning, then maybe... He's very good at it. Yeah. <laughs> just the fact that you can walk out and then walk back in and everything's immediately caked in the same amount of dust again uh, yeah you don't even have to cycle to the next day if you had to cycle to the next day before it happened fine i guess she's just throwing dust everywhere <laughs> fo, 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 she fo. won't do it over pippet stuff because that's his space but you know she's she got a time shift stone in there <laughs> got a time shift stone in there she pulls out her bag of dust that she spent their bread money on oh <laughs> she, she, she buys she, dust she's bought that uh-huh. sweet artisanal dust yeah this is gmo free dust yeah gmo free <laughs> pure demon dust it's how batro manages to feed himself he pa- passes it to her at night never lets her see his face um. so fuck Oh, that's the worst. Uh, The next email comes in from Daniel and is composed of three parts. Subject, two short questions and a comment on the animated series. God help us all. One, do the dragons in Breath of the Wild fly up above the cloud barrier? When they fly up in the air and disappear, they have this funky cloud portal. What do y'all think? I haven't Um. seen this funky cloud portal. Oh, you've never seen the dragons fly away? No. Oh, they do definitely go through a big portal into the sky, and it's lined with clouds. Mm. I think because you can trigger them to re-emerge as well. Mm -hmm. They're just portaling to their original spot. That may be the case. Mm, No, because you can't re-trigger them within the same night for certain locations. Right. I got enough of uh, nature's fang to be sure of that shit. Hmm. Do you think... Nadra, or one of them, or all of them, flew into the dimension known as the sky and killed Levius? No, I don't. Ate him, and his skeleton fell down? <laughs> no, no, I've I've got I, I've got theories with regards to that that I'll touch on in part one of Breath of the Wild. Uh, but no, I don't think so. Do the dragons have a cool hangout spot? Y- yes. I don't know what it would be like, though. What would it be like? It's got very long couches. <laughs> I guess it fucking would, wouldn't it? Oh, fuck. Two. What's the deal with Zelda not recognizing Link in the Oracle games? I don't remember if it came up during the Oracle episodes, but a recent question about the encyclopedia reminded me about this question. It's the only reason I can see for them changing the placement, small as it is. It is in support of changing the placement, I suppose. I think a simpler explanation is she's a different Zelda. Yeah, I think this did definitely come up during the Oracle episodes, as I remember. And we did conclude that it's a different Zelda. And it was actually the basis of my argument for for art. It's why I argued that the Oracle games are the closest of all games published to being non-canonical. Oh, that's a little harsh. I know that it's harsh, but it wasn't like we had to shift the entirety of the Oracle games over into the Accursed Timeline to begin to make it make sense. They were always in the Accursed Timeline. Yeah, I guess. But like the fact that just the fact that there's two distinct versions of it, they're 
the two games take place on different timelines, and the two battles with Ganon also take place on two different timelines. So, like, is this after Adventure of Link? No. And so there's two sets of different Zeldas oh. spawning different Zeldas. Oh! Like, it's a... <laughs> No, no, that doesn't fit. It probably doesn't work. Because this is like def- Zelda has a little sister named Zelda. It's like Pete and Pete. <laughs> it's like Pete and Pete. Well, I, did you watch Pete and Pete? I feel like we've talked about this. I've watched some of Pete and Pete. Pete and Pete was a good show sometimes. Damn good soundtrack. So the naming convention is down and every girl part of the royal family is called Zelda. And the accursed timeline. Yes. Yeah. And therefore, Zelda has to deal with her younger sister also being named Zelda. Yeah. Okay. That's rough. So Twin Rova just grabbed Zelda, who was not Zelda from Link to the Past, but in fact probably her older sister or younger sister. I well, it's definitely a different Zelda, and there's and each Oracle game occurs on a distinct part of its own timeline because they run parallel to each other, mm-hmm. and you can fight Ganon in each of them. And the way that Twin Rova recognizes Ganon differs between the two versions. Right. So it's like or the Oracle games are their own timeline split within yeah. the Accursed Timeline, which is very interesting and maybe lends credence to the idea that time is coming unraveled. I can definitely see why Nintendo would be inclined to move it into its own thing, even though the ending clearly sets up Link's Awakening. Uh-huh. Um, what if... The Triforce not only transported Link to a different land, but also to a different time. What if... Yeah, that might... I like that idea. Yeah, that's not a bad idea. What if it's not that Link's Awakening and the Oracle games have a different Link in them. It's just that Link to the Past and Link's Awakening aren't the same Link. The Oracle games retconned Link's Awakening to be happening to a different Link, and the person that Marin resembles is the Zelda of the Oracle games, not the Zelda of Link to the Past. Mm, they do. Zelda in Oracles does have red hair. Mm. But Just even Nintendo thought. hasn't gone that far. I mean, I... We can go further. Yeah, I, I mean, there's no reason those track. have to be connected to a Link to the Past. Yeah, it's not a strict requirement, I don't think. Uh, we're gonna have to... Hmm. Daniel, this question's fucking us up a little bit, but it's gonna it may be reflected in the timeline episode that will cap off the Book of Medora podcast. God, because the Oracle games do make a little bit more sense if they're removed from Link to the Past. I really like the idea of Oracle's Link having his own adventures that we don't see, mm. and he's so developed enough to, you know, be able to touch the Triforce by the point we start off with him. Yes. Yes, that would make sense. And it would also explain why the Triforce is just off in this fucking place as yeah. opposed to being in Link to the Past. I think we've reached it. Yeah. A new, a new okay. awakening. Uh, the Oracle games could take place hundreds or even thousands of years after Link to the Past. Thank you, Daniel. This ties in nicely with the previous email from Caleb. So now we just need to figure out if the Oracle games and Link's Awakening take place before or after Zelda 1 and Zelda 2. I mm. because the thing about it is that if the Triforce is sitting in a ruined Hyrule, it could be either. Hyrule is developed enough for Zelda to comfortably travel from it, though. True, but why is the Triforce sitting in the middle of an empty castle? The do you think it takes place before or after a Link Between Worlds? I guess after. Okay. I mean, it would make sense for it to be after. 
because the backstory of that game seems to imply the Triforce split apart pretty soon after the end of that game. Is that what happened? Yeah. I'm going to have to replay Link Between Worlds. Oh god, I have to replay Link Between Worlds to figure out my exact feelings on this. But yeah, that was that fuck. All right, Daniel, y'all, that's that's a good one. I'm going to get to part 3 of the email now. 3. The animated series actually got the slightest bit of continuation with the Captain N, the Game Master episode, Quest for the Potion of Power, which has the same voice actors as the animated series and seems to take place in the same continuity. As an aside to this, there's no seams to it. They make explicit references. To summarize, Ganon has been defeated by Link. Mother Brain's minions want to resurrect him. Link and Captain N fight various Zelda 2 bosses, e.g. Horsehead, Iron Knuckle. Ganon ends up being resurrected. Link and Captain N learn to work together to defeat him. The end. Oh, and Link actually gets a kiss from the princess. Whoa. Have you not seen this one, Crystal? No. I'm tempted to... Bad. I'm tempted to put us on pause so that you could watch it. The episode isn't terrible, but it's not particularly good either. It's not good. You're not missing out by not watching it, or okay. the handful of other Legend of Zelda Captain N episodes, which don't even have Ganon in them. I didn't know there were other Zelda episodes for Captain N. Well, the only... They did bring back all the same voice cast, including Ganon, and all the characters got redesigned, and their redesigns are much worse. Yes, please link Crystal. I think the two things that I like out of that episode, one is that when Ganon is initially partially revived, he's a little baby piggy. Yeah, that's pretty good. Please link that to Crystal. You want the baby piggy? Yes, little baby piggy. Uh, um. Hmm. Describe what you're looking at, Crystal. It's it's a Ganon uh, with like a, a face eater on his chest. Face hugger? Yeah. And he's got all these extra lines, and his lips are much more pronounced, and he looks less like a pig. Except for little baby Ganon, which is definitely just a pig. Pink and tall. You know, I'd never watched Captain N before. Uh, I, Monica and I did actually watch this episode, The Potion of Power, and I'm sure that it's on YouTube. Uh, Crystal, do you want to watch this? Sh- sure. All right, hold on. Like, right now? I don't see why not. <sighs> I... I mean, how long is it? Uh, let me see. Oh, no, this is like 21 minutes. It's too long. I'm going to link it to you anyway. Um, I'll let... But we'll we'll, we'll we'll talk about it later. It's awful. It's worse than the other. It's worse than the Zelda cartoon. It's much worse than the Zelda cartoon. It's so bad, it's worth watching. I'll put it that way. Uh, um, the only other thing I like about <laughs> yeah. this cartoon is that um mother brain's plan to revive ganon to have him work for her works out exactly the way it should should. yeah which is ganon turns around and says uh ganon and just immediately blasts her with magic which just like tips over the big vat that she's in and that defeats her by the way can we also talk about how terrible mother brain can we talk about how fucking racist mother brain is in the captain in cartoon they how did they make a fucking disembodied brain racist uh (sighs) I tell you what, watch just enough of that to get to the... Like, click around until you see Mother Brain. Let's see, okay. Oh. (laughs) And then listen to... Oh. Why would they do this? Why would they do this indeed, Chris? Why would they do this to me? Yeah. How could uh, Reggie do this to me? I don't know. Well, Reggie was was not in town. He was a pizza hut man. Let's see. 
Mother Brain was voiced by Levi Stubbs Jr. Er, God. Who is apparently the leader of the Motown R&B Quartet, The Four Tops. Okay. (laughs) And he is really playing her up to be a jive-talking, angry, sassy black woman. At least a little bit, yeah. It's not good. It's bad. I'm not blaming Levi for this, let's be clear. I'm blaming the, the direction. voice direction. Yeah, it's it's strong. It's strongly strong bad. bad. Strong bad, yeah. That's where the name Strong Bad came from. Mother Brain in the Captain N cartoon. What is even the lore behind Mother Brain in Metroid? Um. Oh, Jesus, Crystal, really? Do you want to have a special Metroid episode? Yeah, because I don't understand anything about Metroid. Ooh. Let us tell you about Metroid. Yo, you want to do that right now? No, no. I mean, wasn't that the voted... Yeah, actually, um, recently on Twitter, I put up a poll asking what the most interesting lore would be. And the four choices were Metroid, Pokemon, Kirby, and the Earthbound series. And because it got retweeted by a big name Metroid fan, I guess, Metroid pulled ahead from last to first. So it's officially the most uh, curious and most interesting lore of those four listed so mother brain is the leader of the space pirates oh you're already wicking it you're supposed to let us tell you we'll do it later come on i I just (laughs) what is why is she a brain um there's actually been multiple possible explanations for this it depends on if you want to talk about the canon as it's presented in the metroid prime series the canon as it's presented in the official metroid manga or the canon as it's suggested in metroid other m there's not congruent? No. Well, I mean, the Metroid Prime series is very similar to how it works in the manga and Other M, sort of. They build on the same concept. But in Other M, Mother Brain is like this alien mind that controls the insect-like space pirates, the Zebezians, through her vast psychic powers, which is also how she controls Metroids. Oh, In the Metroid Prime games, she is heavily implied to be a Federation supercomputer, which is capable of controlling an entire naval fleet that was stolen by the space pirates and corrupted. Well, yes, the the reason being because the Federation has several of these AI brains. Yes, they have a bunch of AI brains which have very pleasant voices and will talk to you and guide you through things. And at the end of Metroid Prime 3 Corruption, you have a big mother brain fight because another one of these things has been stolen and corrupted with the mutagenic mineral Phazon. Does the Federation have, like, mother brain and Zelda brain and Mario brain and Kirby brain? No, what are you talking about? Mother. Oh, that's a good joke I didn't catch up on. I'm sorry. I fucked that up. Daniel, that was a good email, but now we are just going down all these things. Crystal, of those four (laughs) series, if we had to do a special expose on their particular lore, would you want to hear about Metroid? Because it's got some weird shit in it. I would like to hear about Metroid because I don't understand it. There's not really a lot to understand, but yeah, okay. If, if I'd say that the most recent game opened up the lore window. Yes. Considerably. I think that probably Metroid Samus Returns on the Nintendo 3DS is 
arguably the best place to jump into the series to understand its lore. Which is saying something. Yep. Hmm. We could probably do each of those games as a single episode if you wanted to do a Metroid run-through. A sort of let me tell you about Metroid. Okay. Would you like to do that? Yes. Okay, when do you want to do that? Uh, at some point. Okay, maybe we could mix them in between the Zelda titles. Okay. Or maybe we could do it after... Uh, I don't know when the Zelda series is going to end, but between Zelda titles shouldn't be bad. Yeah. We'll talk about it more. We're not committing to anything here in the email section of the Book of Medora podcast. Do we want to do one more? Let's do one more email. Okay. And this next one comes in from Mitchell. Hello. I recently finished listening to all eight out of five Twilight Princess episodes. <laughs> and I had three different things I wanted to talk about. First, my theory on the Mirror of Twilight. I remember there was a lot of talk about why the Mirror of Twilight was so incredibly evil and corrupting to all the creatures around it, especially when it originated as a gift from the goddesses. My interpretation is that it resulted from being used as an execution device by the Hyruleans for so many years. As the prisoners were sent through the portal to what they assumed would be the land of the dead, their hatred and ill intent towards their captors left behind a kind of spiritual residue that slowly resulted in the Mirror becoming more and more cursed. What do you think of this idea? What do we think of this idea? Sounds like, like the it. malice. It does sound like the malice. You like the idea of this building yeah. up of ill feeling? Yes. It does make a certain amount of sense. Did we come to any sort of conclusions in those episodes? Mitchell's got us at kind of a disadvantage here. Thinking back, I think we just sort of determined that what sort of magic was involved there was just really not for... Hylians, it ran Hylians. counter to them, so it's not right. evil, but it brings out something inside of them. Yeah, it but could this also one's just as workable. I, that's true. I mean, the only thing the Mirror of Twilight itself didn't corrupt people; the shards of it did, but those were soaked in the power of Ganon. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So there's multiple vectors by which malice could be spread through them. Twilight is like lava; it's not malicious. But oh. it's really hot. That lava is really <laughs> hot. That's true. Don't touch it. Don't even be around it, really, if you can avoid it. Don't put your Chef Boyardee in there to cook the Chef Boyardee. It will get too hot. Don't throw an iPhone in it for your YouTube video. Don't do that. What if you get a lot of viewers out of it? Don't, like, test how much thermal, uh, what do you call it? Capacitive? No, damn it. It's it's the opposite of conductivity. Insulation? Don't test the thermal insulation of your shoes by jumping on the lava and then jumping back off of it. Don't eat it. No. That one probably most of all. That one probably most of all. Unless you're a Gorin. If you're a Gorin, you can probably do that. You think Gorons drink lava? I don't know. The, the, that uh, rock sirloin from Breath of the Wild is glowing red hot when it's at the perfect temperature. Do you remember that? Uh, yeah. Okay. Would you, if you, if you cooked a steak so good that it melted, would you eat it? Yeah. Wait, <laughs> hold on. What does good mean here? <laughs> so hot that the steak molecules enter the liquid phase. Okay, probably not in that case. Okay. Because I mean, like, the closest thing that I could probably do to get a steak into a liquid phase is like, cook it sous vide for like a day or two days 
Because the muscle fibers start to break down and liquefy after a certain amount of time. You did literally blend some beef for me. That was I pork. Had my gum surgery. Yeah, pork. yeah. I did make that baby food. Pork. That was like liquid pork. Pork loin. Yeah, I had to mix in a lot of juice to get the right consistency. I mean, I mean, like liquid steak with like a low viscosity where it flows it's, like water. Oh it's goodness. steak lava. I'm sure this will be discovered. I like. <laughs> you don't burn the steak. You melt the fucking thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this will be a gastronomy thing. Yeah. I, I guess I would try it, assuming that it wouldn't kill me. What a weird question. <laughs> now I'm considering much more seriously than I probably should. Uh, second is about Din. Mm. I remember you briefly floated the idea of Gra- Ganondorf being granted the Triforce of Power as a result of Din's patronage. It would follow that Ganondorf losing the Triforce at the end of the game could be because Din lost favor with him. I suppose it's effectively not that different from the Triforce leaving him because he's no longer the strongest, but the goddess's taking an active judgment on the events playing out feels more significant to me than the Triforce just following its programming. What implications do you think this might have? I would say the podcast in its current form could be described as, at the very least, meta-agnostic. Probably. It's hard for me to imagine Din making active judgments on Ganondorf. We might describe Din, Nehru, and Faror as the cosmic watchmakers. Yeah. At the very least, you know, they don't really do anything. Uh, did we yet? float the idea of Din taking the Triforce of Power away? Or is that just something that we talked about people used to assume of the sequence? It was definitely either came up in a question or somebody else's perspective. We may have considered it earnestly. I'd like to just think that we tried. Crystal, I have this feeling that maybe you did it. That feels like something I would have said <laughs> in an early episode. How about this? Because Ganondorf hacked off Din's head on the statue, she bothered enough to look down from wherever she was uh-huh. watching her goddess TV. Uh-huh. And I was like, hey. You know, it's been since Ocarina of Time since you called the Triforce gods aliens, Crystal. Yeah. Yeah. I was just thinking about that. They are from I feel a like distant... we made some <laughs> I feel like we joked about that a lot sooner. Ugh. It they're texturally described as being from a distant nebula. They are described that way. Is it by the Deku tree? Yeah. Uh, the Deku tree is pretty smart. Yeah. Was it by the Deku tree? I thought it was from a manual. Like the link to the past oh, manual. Oh, is that the link to the past manual? It was, it was the, the link tree. to the past manual. Okay. So it is NOA text. NOA text. Zelda.com tier text. Okay. Sorry for misaligning the Deku tree. One thing that we talked about in the Ocarina of Time episode, though, that Crystal did bring up, was that that text aligns with how the Deku tree describes the gods as descending from the heavens Mm -hmm. to the formless chaos that would become the world. Yeah. I, I think in general, we hold that Ganon lost the Triforce of Power because he was dying and that his grip on it just slipped. It could be that he was no longer worthy of it because Link was just that manly and that he became more worthy of it. Even in Twilight Princess, Lanayru talks about how the Golden Goddesses left the world and returned to their home. So they, they are not like omnipresent as the Christian God might be. Or at least not as the inhabitants of Hyrule understand them. Right. They have a place they are from. The gods don't see these gods, the old gods, as being here anymore. They're gone. Right. 
So it, it seems textually that they probably don't care what goes on with the Triforce, or at least they don't interfere. I'll read the third portion. Oh, okay, sure. Third, I was wondering about your thoughts on Gandorf's cut speech that would have happened as he died. I know you have a general policy on taking the game as is, without using cut content or different translations as necessarily canonical, but I found it very interesting and a way to shine new perspective on what did make it in the game. Well, we, we do like different translations sometimes, just to uh, illuminate certain aspects of the story. Yes. Ganondorf's speech in the final version is simply, Do not think this ends here. The history of light and shadow will be written in blood which I took to be Gandorf spitefully declaring that the Light World and the Twilight Realm will inevitably come into conflict with one another, leading to Midna's later decision to break the mirror. The uncut speech reads, When the Chosen Ones appear, they are always born into this world in perfect balance. That is the destiny of the Chosen. That is the fate decreed by your gods, the only path for those who bear their crests. When this world brings forth another marked as you are, Know, too, that it shall also be visited by one of my blood. Do not think this ends here. The history of light and shadow will be written in blood. Which reframes the final text as Gandorf's awareness of a cycle and part he plays in it. It feels like he resents being shoehorned, while at the same time glad the next bearer will continue his revenge. But that's just my reading. So what do you think about these lines? Do you, they give you any new perspective or thoughts on Gandorf's character in Twilight Princess? My preferred interpretation of the uncircumcised speech. Wow. <laughs> what? <laughs> <Stop>. <laughs> huh? Oh, go on. Is that this is Ganon once again mythologizing himself. Oh. That of course, yes, he he is a demigod as part of a cycle that will be reborn one day. He won't just die here, a mortal man. It's very, um... He is also describing each... This speech here is very interesting because it does two things that would greatly affect the lore of the Zelda series and probably make the whole of the Book of Medora version of the timeline look very different if it had been left in. Mm -hmm. The first thing that it does is... It makes it so that the first curse that we see describing the cycle comes from Ganondorf, not Demise. This whole concept was reused later to let Demise describe the cycle as it would occur. Well, I mean, Ganondorf put that curse down in Ocarina of Time. It's, no, he said he would come back. That's fulfilled in Wind Waker. Yeah. I mean, but what I'm getting at with regards to this other thing is that Ganondorf is describing other versions of Ganon as different people. Yes, but one of his blood. One of his blood. They're all Gerudo. They're all Gerudo kings, mm -hmm. even. But they're not him. Mm -hmm. Just like Zelda of Twilight Princess isn't Zelda from Ocarina of Time. Right. The thing is, this concept of the three appearing, born in balance kind of got dropped after this game yeah like it they they brought back in a link between worlds but otherwise it only happens in ocarina and wind waker and twilight princess the games with this specific one man ganondorf even in that case i don't know that it necessarily happens in 
Twilight Princess is the only game where everybody just pops into existence in the exact state that they need to be to make the story work. In all the other versions of it, at least one of them, Link, has to become the person who is part of this cycle. And sometimes Zelda, too. Sometimes Zelda, too. They're not in perfect balance. No. Like, Ocarina of Time, Ganondorf, was not in balance with young Link or Zelda. Not at all. He kind of... Yeah. Twilight Princess, they're in balance. It would have been a complete reframing of the lore of the entire series. And it, I think that if that had been a thing, it would have implied that all of the games we currently place in the Accursed Timeline would have taken place after Twilight Princess. Hmm. Yes. But, but also, how conceited is this speech? Right. Because, <laughs> you know, two out of three of this triangle are peaceful and would not like up in the world one of the three instigates all this shit it just occurred to me that this also creates the possibility that this ganondorf isn't necessarily the same one from ocarina of time Hmm, it does create that possibility and that also means that the hero shade isn't necessarily the hero of time it's just one of the people who was born at the time to fight Ganondorf, the destined hero. This version of it makes destiny and the wheels of fate so much more of a thing that I'm really glad they cut this out, even though I would prefer not to have to write an entire timeline around the devil. I don't think Ganondorf has any special knowledge of the workings of the gods. I think he is creating a story to give himself more meaning. Yeah. If it was a separate Ganondorf, though, is it possible that he would simply be recognizing the metatextual framing of the entire setting? I suppose so, if that were the case. Yeah, but, but it's not. Yeah, that's not oh. the direction they've been going for the past ten years. Yeah. I'm kind of glad of that, to be perfectly honest. But that was a very good email. It has some things in it. Yes. Cameron, where can people find you online? You can find me on Twitter at CamWriter. You can find me at Arcane Crystal. You find the other good podcasts on AudioEntropy.com like Let's Place, the podcast where we scientifically and objectively rank every video game according to quality. Uh, MCU Complete Me, the podcast where we talk about all the Marvel movies and decide if they're good or bad. Our most recent episode was on Avengers Age of Ultron, the best Marvel movie. Oh. Wow. <laughs> So y'all agreed then? No, Luke didn't like it as much as me. Oh, okay. But did you both... What? what, what you know what? I shouldn't be asking what y'all graded it, though I am curious. I give it an A-. Oh, that would be the best Marvel movie. Uh-huh. What did Luke give it? A D+. Plus. Yikes! Yowza, wowza! It's an A++ for that moment where Captain America just tears that log apart in his tight shirt. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was a <laughs> A plus plus. Yeah, he does do that. And That's you can find <laughs> me on patreon.com slash arcane crystal where you can listen to this and other podcasts early. I will make double sure that this episode is edited in time to put up early. So let's end with a funny Zelda joke. Okay. Oh. This one comes in from gamefox.com thread your best Zelda joke. Oh, we're going back to this well. Uh-huh. This is posted seven years ago by user Suicune's Wrath. Oh, no. 
Link walked up to a man and asked him his name, and the man replied saying his name was Dorf. Link asked, have you seen Ganondorf? Yeah. Oh, that's horrible. You know, I'm real. I'm really scraping this barrel <laughs> for its delicious jams and jellies. If if anybody wants to send in emails containing jokes, please go right ahead. Uh, me and Monica will not read those emails, so Crystal can keep the surprise intact. Label it like jokes. <laughs> I, if Crystal, tell me ahead of time if you have to go to the. To any of these old standby wells again, and I will. I'll make up a fucking joke if I have to. Okay. What the f- fuck sake? Well, good night, everybody. Good, good night, night, everybody. <laughs>